0: Welcome everybody to Drive into the Basket, part of the Basketball Podcast Network. I am Mike. I'm here with Dante and Tommy, recording this very shortly after the end of the season opener. The Pistons came up just short against the Bulls. So we're just going to launch right into it. Uh, Dante, I know you wanted to be the first to talk about Killian Hayes, who is an unfortunate story about this game.
1: I think me being born close to Detroit is an unfortunate story because I just (laughs) never see my teams win, man. It's just it hurts so Jeez. bad. Like, Chill. I wanted to win. <laughs> so it's much. game one,
2: Dante. Chill.
1: <laughs> it yeah, is agreed. Um, I it enjoyed is game, game one. Yeah, and now I am contemplating yeah, where fun. I was going. Um, I I did have some fun, but man, it soured for me at the end. I just I don't know. I I, I thought this was a very winnable game, and and there's, there's something different about games that are super out of reach where you like check out by halftime versus games like these where I thought we had a chance to start the season on a good note and and get the win. But unfortunately it didn't work out that way. So I do have some thoughts about Hayes um, and I want to phrase this delicately. So Tommy already told me to chill once, but I don't know. So I don't know how he's going to like this, but uh, he, I, I just don't think Killian's got it, man. Like I know it's one game. I understand that. But the lack of progression has been jarring is not the word, but frustrating. It's been incredibly frustrating. I I don't think he's improved in any facet in any area or in any conceivable way since he's been drafted, at least not in a way that I've seen. Maybe I'm just not watching the games with enough of a critical eye, but he's just useless out there, man. He, he, He doesn't seem to provide anything. And once in a blue moon, you know, he'll throw a lob like the one he had to Stewart tonight. That looks really pretty. But at the end of the day, who are you helping? No one. And, and, and I think Killian, and I don't want to put it all on him, but I think Killian, along with the rest of the guards and some other players, were a big part of why we lost tonight. You know, when when you just can't put it together and be useful in any area, these four or five, six point losses, you know, were avoidable. So that sort of is where my frustration is stemming from right now.
0: Yeah, it makes sense. I would say with Killian, I mean, I'm not looking at it in in the context of, well, my goodness. Oh, Let's just put it this way. I'm only looking at it as one game. However, I concur that the lack of progress is definitely pretty concerning, even just in the context of one game. Like you had him last year. He came in, he got injured, he came back. You know, he looked okay in a couple of games, uh, but, you know, for the most part, he was pretty bad. But you think, okay, he's young. This will be his first real offseason. He's going to have a lot of time to put work in. And he was awful at summer league. He came back. Sure, he had his ankle injury. He was just terrible tonight. I mean, and the question we asked was during the last episode about Killian was what does he have at the NBA level? Can he be a productive NBA player in any respect? And unfortunately, he came in and just was a complete non-factor tonight. Mm -hmm. And what bothered me the most is that the guy still absolutely will not Drive through the middle of the lane and take the contact. If he is confronted with any he's so easily pushed to the side, even when he goes left, they if he if he sees a defender, they probably know they can push him to the left and he's going to attempt a relatively low percentage floater or a layup from like four feet away from the basket. So it's like, dude, you can get something done at least. Go down the middle, accept that somebody's gonna hit you. And and at that point you can contribute a little bit, but he did nothing right on offense and doing doing nothing right means that he was a massive negative.
1: Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Tommy, what do you what do you think?
2: Yeah, I don't know if this is just wishful thinking on my part, but I actually thought he made a little bit of progress uh driving into the paint. Like he didn't like you said, Mike, he didn't get down the middle. I uh, 100% agree with that, but he was able to get like a foot in the paint. He was he was getting he was making more headway than I've seen him do all summer, low, all through preseason. It's it's, it's, it's a low bar, it's to marginal, step over. I understand you you that, but like it paint, was something. Yeah. 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 Yeah, that's I, yeah. But that's still something it's Started more, it's more and he up. was Yeah, and I think he was I think it was a conscious effort to be uh, more assertive and more confident and I agree with you he didn't take contact. Like he would he would try to push and then he would kind of pick his spot to hit the brakes before he actually initiated contact with any of the Bulls guards, but I, it's it's something that he's working on. So, while I agree that he ultimately was a disappointment tonight, um I I've like I think I said in the previous episode, I don't really care too much right now if the shots fall. Uh, I want to see him be assertive and work on getting to the basket. And while he didn't really do that tonight, uh, he just looked a little bit more comfortable. And that's, that's a win for me. Uh, I agree with you. Not a good play, uh, not a good game from him tonight, but
0: it's, it's something. Well, I think that's, I think that's putting it lightly. Zero yeah. in 20 minutes. Wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. I would phrase it like
1: this. I would phrase it like this. I, At what point, and I'm not trying to be rhetorical. I would like you guys to answer this. Like, at what point do the excuses stop? Because for me, I don't want to compare him to Seku one for one. But for Seku, I found myself constantly performing these mental gymnastics for why he wasn't being assertive, why he wasn't performing when he did get the chance to play, why he just wasn't good. You know, and with Killian, it was like, oh, okay, well, he's coming from a much inferior league even to the NCAA, and he didn't have much of a real offseason, so we'll give him that. That's why he looked so bad the first seven games. Then after that, it's oh he got hurt, he's still coming back from his injury. Now he's got a full, you know, off season and he played in the summer league and he played in preseason and he Still can't. Uh, yeah, play. He only played
0: twenty minutes in preseason. Okay, but it's, you're
1: okay. Yeah, yeah I'll, I'll retract that. Not let's let's call it twenty minutes in in preseason because I think it was exactly that. But he still played in summer league, and then he comes out and he zero points. Like that's not normal for a top ten pick a year after getting drafted to put up zero points. And I'm not surprised that he put up zero points. That's
0: not normal yeah. for anybody. Any, no, it's not any normal. NBA player. For any I, NBA player, you give him twenty minutes in a game, and he's going to probably score. I, I mean, was American it's a so second-round player. 20
1: either. minutes in a game, and I could score, but I don't think I could. No, so, probably not. Probably <laughs> not. Maybe if I was just chucking from half-court every time. But yeah. it's so – that's my question. When do the excuses stop?
0: I wouldn't say it's a matter of when the excuses stop. I would just say, for me, you can say it again. It's the first game of the season. It's just really deflating to see him have absolutely no NBA skill on offense. Mm-hmm. He's just, he's just an absolute non-factor. Drive halfway into the interior, get stopped, give up the ball. All you're doing there is, is running out the clock. Beyond that, he's just the four words that were running through my head when most of the time he was on the floor. And, you know, say what you will about the fact that this is running through my head. we rudimentary ball delivery system, which is basically all he was. Make short passes to your teammates that don't actually amount to anything. Yeah. Like here, I have the ball. I'm going to stop because I can't drive in. Would you like it? Here, here's a short pass. Take it. And I'm just going to not be part of the play for, mm-hmm. for, you know, for the remainder of the possession. Could, And that's what happened most of the time.
1: Yeah, so, he's, yeah uh, it was distressing. He was out there doing suicides pretty much, just a complete non-factor. I mean, he would <laughs> execute a pass. It was, like you said, very rudimentary, not doing anything. The only notable positive play was the Stuart lob, but even then, yeah, it's like- that
0: was just a it was short pick and roll. For anybody who doesn't know the term suicides, those are a form of sprints. Yeah, uh, I, but, I would hope most
1: people do. <laughs> I would yeah, hope most yeah, people just, do. Yeah, just, just to clarify. Uh, sprints, you could call. I've heard them be called yeah, that as well. But in,
0: Yeah, so in, in any case, yeah, it was just, I mean, here's the worst case scenario. The worst case scenario with Killian right now in the short term is either he ends up uh, on the second unit or he ends up in the G League. Yep, Pistons can, because he's only in his second season, the Pistons can send him there as much as they want. So, and it's not, if this is what's to come, then I suspect that that might actually end up being the situation. And who knows, maybe it could be good for him, but we're getting way ahead of ourselves in that case. So uh, why don't we move on to I, I really Bay. hope that doesn't happen. I say. Yeah, unless yeah, Tommy, you have anything further to add about Killian?
2: Yeah, I would just say I'm. I'm going to stick with my story of there's marginal improvement, and I really hope that if they are going to demote him, I don't. I hope they don't send him all the way to the G League. I, I like the idea time. of him coming off the bench. I th- yeah, yeah, it's it's something that they can decide over time. But yeah, I just I think it would be. I don't think that's going to do him any good for his confidence. Well, uh,
1: putting up zero points is not doing anything for his confidence yeah. either.
0: Nothing has done any good for his Nothing. confidence just yet yeah, yeah. so uh, but that's I'd like to just reiterate that that's the worst case scenario of the season is that he ends yeah. up in the G league, and that would be sad, but you know it is what it is and uh, and, and hopefully you see improvement. maybe he comes back next season and, uh, and and you see things going better. He's still young. You got rookies for four years for a reason, and I don't see the pistons cutting bait until maybe the trade deadline next season uh, or, or thereabouts. Assuming anybody would want to trade for him at that point, uh, but yeah. So, all right, Sadiq Bay, uh, Tommy, I know you got thoughts on him. Yeah, six of fifteen shooting, zero four from
2: three, and I was still thrilled with his performance because one of the things mm-hmm. that we talked about going into this season was can Sadiq Bay expand beyond a three and D player? And even though he ended up being a fat zero from deep, he ended up contributing uh, in more ways than just off or not more than just shooting. Uh, he's out there. Knocking down mid-range, he's using his size against guys like DeMar DeRozan, back his way in. He's taking that mid-range fadeaway, and I know that it's not your favorite shot, Mike, but it's it's a legitimate weapon, and if he can shoot it at a high enough percentage, I love that shot for him. He might be one of the few guys in the league who could actually knock that down. I trust him with that. It's a little bit concerning at this point that it's been a while since we've seen a good shooting night from three-point range from Sadiq Bey, uh, but I'm not too concerned about that yet. But overall, you know, Sadiq Bey, he played a, p- a very nice game. Good defense, uh, dishing some assists, a uh, nice dump off passes to Stewart in the paint. So really nice game from him.
1: Yeah, Sadiq made it all worth it for me. He was my he was my shining light tonight. Him and Stewart, but we'll get to Stewart either later this episode or another time. But I thought Bay was was outstanding. I thought he was great. And I like, Tommy, that you read the stat line, which would seem very pedestrian, if not below average, if you just looked at the box score. But when you look at how he played, you realize that if two or three of those triples fell, then you're looking at a stellar performance. And we all know Sadiq is a lights out shooter. You know, I I think it's atypical when he misses more threes than he makes. And I know it's been a little bit since he's just exploded from range, but we all know he has it in him. So whether or not those three point shots go in. We know that he didn't just forget how to shoot, so it doesn't really matter to me. It's not something that's of consequence. What is of consequence is the Euro step, the mid-range fadeaway, <laughs> the drives, the tip-ins. It, it, I said this, I think, must have been my one of my first episodes on the pod. And I think I said that Sadiq was just a scorer. You know, That's what he is. He's just a scorer. Um, he finds a way to put points up, to put the ball in the hoop. And he did that tonight. You know, he showed off the diverse skill set that he's been working on. His handle looks super improved. And so if you combine the current version of Sadiq with the three point performances of last season, Sadiq, man, he's gonna be <laughs> he's gonna be really good. And he's already really good. So that's something to look forward to.
0: Yeah, I think it should be noted when we're speaking about him not having had a good shooting night in a while. I mean, we're really just looking back to last season in Summer League, they were really stressing the off-the-dribble game, the creation game, he wasn't really taking too many threes. And yeah, he didn't shoot them too well, but we know that he can shoot them. In this game, you could just really perceive, I felt, the focus upon development. Because he was playing very differently and was being used entirely differently from from how he was utilized last season. As far as last season, basically, while well, Sadiq, are out in the perimeter. Find a way to get open and take a shot. And Sadiq is a high IQ player. He is wise beyond his ears as far as making the right decision. And he would find a way to get open, often to my chagrin, where it's like, well, uh, you know, opposing, you know, insert team here. Like, this guy is the best shooter on the team. Why are you leaving him open? We really want to lose this game. You know, please start doing your job. So (laughs) what Sadiq did tonight was really just an extension, I feel like, of what was done with him in summer league. He was focusing much more on just trying to generate and maybe... I doubt this was done with an eye toward, okay, well, Sadiq, we think this is the best way for you to comport yourself. We you want to win a game. I doubt that was it. But I I liked what he did. You know, I, I'll say it again. Sadiq, just he's, you can count on him to make the right decision, which is an excellent asset, especially for a player who's going to be trying to, to create things off the fly. So, yeah, you had those mid-range step backs. You know, who knows? Maybe you can make those efficient. If so, great. That's a weapon most players can't. Uh, and we're not talking the same shot I was talking about in past episodes, which is basically bully his way in and take a turn away, turn fade away. That's significantly harder. But yeah, the Euro step time when he just, uh, when he spun around DeRozan. Uh, to be fair, DeRozan is not a good defender. Far from it. But nonetheless, still good to see. Uh, he took, I don't remember who it was. I think Juanzo. Yeah. I just backed him up and, Voiced it into the basket. And then a couple of times at which he was running full speed and managed to make a good pass to Stewart. So I was happy with what I saw. Yeah, I, I don't care that he was inefficient. I really don't. I mean, like you said, Dante would have been like 18 points on 15 shots if he'd hit a couple of those threes. So yeah, I was just really pleased with what I saw. And uh, he's just a good player. And who knows how high his ceiling is. That's perpetually, perpetually a screaming amongst us. But I had fun watching him.
1: Yeah, I I did too. I think if anything, we can at least all agree that this performance bodes very well, um, because it was really Isaiah Stewart who was constantly redefining his ceiling last season. But maybe now that title sort of passes to Sadiq, because if he comes out night after night and does this, it's like I said, and and like you just said too, Mike, like that that three is gonna fall. So when you combine those those two aspects of his game, you have a just such a talented player who can really be a difference maker. I. I I don't really have much more to add other than that.
2: Yeah, I've been happy with this because one of the things that I've noticed from just just in the general team play, uh, everybody's looking to make the right pass. Well, almost everybody's looking to make the right pass, and everybody's looking to generate offense. And I, I would so badly and like this team to be like the 2014 Spurs, and just everybody's looking for like you have a shot, I, you have a shot, or I have a shot, but somebody else has a better shot. That type of offense and when the Pistons were looking to move the ball around and uh, moving off ball, that was when the offense was like at its prettiest. Like everybody's uh, getting a chance to uh, touch the ball and move it along and you're getting really nice looks. I think it kind of fell apart in the fourth quarter when guys were looking to ISO. So I guess that's kind of where things fell
1: apart. Can we talk about Jeremy Grant, like thinking he's in my park? Like what was that at the end? (laughs) Who, who, what Mike? I know. I know you said that Casey drew up an ISO. I, I don't know if you wanted to maybe speak to what that abomination was that we saw in the in the dying minutes there.
0: Yeah, that was really just a pretty unfortunate play. Um, I I feel like uh, the the way that I saw it was Corey Joseph brought the ball up the floor, and he looked to Casey, who motioned to him. He gave the ball up to Grant. Corey Joseph did, and then he get out of the way. So as far as I could tell, the play was more or less in Grant Iso, which ended up with an absolutely horrible shot that should never have been attempted. I really don't know what happened there. Unfortunately, say what you will about Dwayne Casey and his chops about a developmental coach, and he seems certainly during the latter stages of of last season, he seemed to have done a pretty good job of that. And he has a history of it with the Raptors. So say what you will about that. He does have some strong points. Coaching down the stretch is certainly not one of them. I don't think very highly of him as a coach in terms of a team who wants to win games in general, but obviously the Pistons really aren't in that position of trying to win games right now, but it's still frustrating to see. It has happened throughout his entire tenure with the Pistons. It happens with, which was great last year, but uh, it happens the season before that, the season before that, and it happened with Toronto. He just loses control down the stretch. So shot selection and all sorts of other stuff just went kind of down the tubes and that included that possession from Grant. So frustrating to see. As far as Jeremy went, it was an up and down thing for me. I mean, he largely performed well, but I felt like he was playing very differently from, uh, from what we saw from him last season. He was settling for a lot of bad mid-range offense, for example. Just still lots of difficult pull-up shots off the dribble quite a bit of turnaround jumpers in the post it was just it was not a lot of good offense there it was a lot of low efficiency stuff and he wasn't really trying to pull his way into the interior and either score right at the rim or get to the line so I thought it was a real up and down game for him
2: yeah even in preseason he he looked better than this I hope that doesn't continue Even in preseason he was having a much better time getting to the rim than this so I don't know why he was settling for all these really tough like leaning fadeaways this is this is exactly what you said, Mike. It's classic Casey. This is what got him fired in Toronto, and it's kind of funny that he's doing it against DeMar DeRozan because that was his his star pupil back then, and I just I don't want it to happen to Jeremy Grant. One of the things that we talked about even in the last episode is that Jeremy Grant, uh, his percentage is kind of tank at the end of games. This certainly isn't going to help him. I don't know why they opt to just – go straight to ISOs down the stretch. I understand that your best player is like a guy who should be able to get his own shot. And maybe you want that to be Jeremy Grant, but you know, he had like three or four bulls just draped on him. Try to generate something. Don't just like telegraph that openly that you're going to have Jeremy Grant take these shots and then make it nearly impossible for him. It's not even that it was a a good shot by Jeremy Grant. It just didn't go in. It was, it was an awful shot for anybody. Very few players in this league, like, that, like that's terrible. what you want from like Call yeah, exactly. Out. You want Kawhi Leonard, you want Kevin <laughs> Durant taking that shot, but Jeremy Grant just haven't hasn't proven to be that guy yet. And uh, they talked about at the end of the game on the broadcast. Cade Cunningham is a guy who actually is pretty clutch, but he, even he's not taking that type of shot at the end of the game. He's taking like from the top of the arc, he'll take like a ballsy three, but he's not taking a leaning mid range. That's just not a smart shot. So. Not good. And then Josh Jackson, I think we kind of have to mention. I, I think the turning point of this game, like down the stretch, was when Josh Jackson kind of reverted back to uh, classic Josh, put his head down, drove into the paint, head like head down, and tried to throw one up over his shoulder, and that clanked off the rim. So not a good night from him either. I just feel like they kind of well, went back to He had to two,
0: it. two yeah. turnovers in a row yeah. shortly before uh, that.
2: People are going to talk about like these – Uh, the block, and they're going to talk about that big three that he hit. But even that that three, it just wasn't a good shot. So I just don't like to see these guys reverting back to their old habits. The offense is looking so much better this year when they're actually playing together as a team and looking to make uh, the extra pass. So when they kind of fall back to their old habits, it's just very frustrating for all of us.
1: Yeah. What uh, what do you guys think Casey does on that clipboard? Like, do you think he's playing (laughs) tic-tac-toe? (laughs) <laughs> like what? What is what is he doing? Because I think, I'll tell you what he's not doing. Yeah, <laughs> making. Well, I don't know what you were going to say, Mike, but I was going to say he's not making wise coaching decisions, and he's certainly not making adjustments that are worth making. But maybe you have a more astute point to make.
0: I would say that some coaches, especially coaches who have been in the game as long as Casey, just are what they are. Casey yeah. is not a good coach at making adjustments. In fact, if you look at the long term coaches in the league, he's uh, you're almost certainly going to see him as one of the absolute worst at that. He doesn't really make in game adjustments. And for example, Frank Jackson didn't have a good game. I mean, that is what it is. You got to find his value on the offensive end. He wasn't finding that value. He was defending Levine, which is an impossible. It's a very difficult assignment for anybody. It's an impossible one for Frank Jackson, who's giving up a fair amount of size, a great deal of athleticism. And it's just, he was never going to do a fair job at defending Zach Levine. And Levine had 23 points by the time in the late third quarter, Dwayne Casey finally decided, okay, maybe we'll put Jeremy Grant on him instead It's just these adjustments, and when it comes to the end of games, Casey just doesn't know how to keep it together. Like with Grant there, dude, this is a critical possession. Call a timeout. Don't just say, okay, Jeremy, take the ball on ISO. And then part of that is on Grant, too, for not passing the ball, but it's like call a timeout. Or in that sequence in which the Pistons had two turnovers in in the late fourth quarter in a pretty small span, it's like call a timeout, but instead... He didn't, and they turned the ball over again. So he just routinely loses control of these. He He's done it a lot of times with the Pistons. He did it more times with the Raptors before that. Mm-hmm. So it's frustrating yeah, For to how see. good the defense was. Yeah. I, I, I still enjoyed the game, but even when the Pistons were trying to lose last season, it frustrated. Yeah, for me.
2: how good the defense was, that was and for, even for how poor yeah. the shooting was, that was a very winnable game. It's just they made some bad decisions down the stretch, and mm-hmm. it really... Really came back to bite them. That's that's a more experienced team. They're definitely playing more like vets, and they just executed better because yeah, we certainly Casey couldn't. Just so very frustrating, but hopefully they'll learn. We get to play Chicago again. Uh, do you have any ideas for adjustments to be made?
0: Yeah, on Saturday.
1: On Saturday, yeah. But if we're going to win these tight games down the stretch, Casey's got to get a grip at the end of these games. Like like Mike, I completely agree with you in terms of him just losing control in the dying minutes here. And I, I I don't want to absolve um, any of the players who made poor decisions or played poorly down the stretch, but Casey did not put a lot of these guys in positions to succeed. Or if it's not that he didn't tell them what they needed to hear. So Josh, I thought was playing well and within himself for most of that game, but unfortunately it doesn't matter because he reverted back to, um, I guess I'll call it classic Josh Jackson, and and that's mm-hmm. that's Casey has got to take control at that point because all of the goodwill that you've built up is just gone because it's a big factor in why you lost the game. And Frank, I agree, he was put into a bad position. I don't want to alleviate him of like, look, if you're the small shifty guy who shoots threes, you got to hit your threes. If you don't hit your threes, especially the open ones, that's on you. But Casey did him no favors either. And drawing up the ISO at the end, refusing to call timeouts, I just, man, it's it sure is a lot easier to pallet when it's, whoa, oh, yeah, we're tanking. But when you want to win games, not
0: fun. No, it's and even, even last season, there were times when I got frustrated, even when the Pistons were trying, uh, well, early in the season, like that infamous game against the Cavaliers. It's like, okay, you're mm-hmm. playing all veterans and you're trying to win and you suck at trying to win. That <laughs> just that's insult to injury.
1: And now a quick word from our sponsor. Another week of the NFL season means another shot to win big at DraftKings Sportsbook. New customers can bet just $1 on any NFL game and win $100 in free bets if either team scores a point. The last 0-0 tie in the NFL was actually in 1943, so I'd say this is a no-brainer. If Sportsbook isn't available in your state yet, don't worry. DraftKings will not leave you empty-handed. Everyone can play for huge cash prizes all season long with DraftKings daily fantasy sports contest. They're giving all new customers a free shot at millions of dollars in total prizes with their first deposit. So download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now, use promo code TPPN, throw down $1 on any NFL game and win $100 in free bets if either team scores a single point. That's promo code TPPN. This week at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. You must be 21 or older in New Jersey, Indiana or Pennsylvania only. New customers only. Minimum five dollar deposit and one dollar wager required. One per customer. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com/sportsbook for details. And if you have a gambling problem, call one eight hundred Gambler.
0: Why don't we move on to uh, to Isaiah Stewart, who I think was another positive storyline from this game. I thought that a lot of his assets were on display; others were notably absent. If we're talking about the absences, it's not anything that he was doing wrong. It's just that you remember times from last season in which, number one, he was firing really without, I don't want to say without remorse. not the right way of putting it. He was firing without really thinking about it too much from the three-point line when he was left open. Or he would get the ball on in the interior, whether it was on a handoff play or whatever, left open, given a few feet of space, and he would take a mid-range jumper. And he was in the high 40s, like 49% of mid-range, I think, on decent volume. That's a good number. That, that is an efficient shot. so uh, I'm, I'm kind of curious why he wasn't doing any of that in this game because you know aside from that one shot he took he he just didn't attempt any jumpers at all. That one almost went in.
1: Yeah yeah so, I have a theory on that. I, I think that last season he was able to be able to be more carefree in in shooting the three and shooting the mid-range because he came in as a very young and potentially perceived to be raw rookie. So when he's shooting from distance and scoring, it's like a pleasant surprise. But maybe it was such a point of emphasis in the offseason that he knows that he's now being relied upon to be a floor spacer. So maybe he feels a sense of responsibility or pressure with those shots, you know, to hit them at a high clip, which leads to him thinking about it more, which leads to brick after brick after brick. So I'm not saying that he's bricking all the time or anything like that, but he his willingness to shoot – um, is certainly not there like it was when he first started doing it last year. I agree with you, Mike. So maybe that's another coaching thing too. But I, I, I as much as I want to call tonight an anomaly, you know, I I don't know if it was. So it's something to keep an eye on. Yeah, um, we'll I guess see. we'll see. I
0: think I I think honestly he's just is not all the way back yet, and that and that accounts for some. Yeah, and
1: that's a fair that's fair too.
0: Yeah, that he's, he's still yeah he's he's almost undoubtedly still getting back into game shape, but the thing is with stewart i mean if he can make those shots that's one of those things that can really unlock him and really oh, yeah. help out the offense as well if you've got a guy who you just can't leave open at the three point line or even in the interior uh, if you have a guy who can be part of these handoff plays then okay there's might be no handoff but you still have to stick close to him mm-hmm. uh, you know that that opens up guys uh, not only can you make those shots it opens up to the guys who are you know who are going to be around running on those handoff plays so Yes. Uh whatever the yes. case, we'll see what becomes of that. But as far as what he did well, he did plenty well. I mean, that was just an observation, really. I thought he had a strong game. And he's uh he's continued to refine himself as a shooter underneath the basket. He he got the ball several times in disadvantageous situations, just kept his composure, found a good position, and put the ball in. That was nice, certainly. Strong on the boards as ever. Uh, strong as a defender. You really saw it there's this solidness we've spoken about before. When it comes to Stewart, he is not easily moved by anyone, which is which is definitely an asset. Vucevic had quite a bit of trouble against him because Vucevic, who's a big guy, is used to just being able to either push people toward the basket or at least put a shoulder in and get a bit of movement before he takes a shot. He was just putting his shoulder in the Stewart and Stewart was barely moving and Vucevic's shot was repeatedly falling short. So. Yeah, there's there's a lot to like always about Isaiah Stewart. And I thought, I, I think, like I said, I don't think he's all the way back in terms of his conditioning, uh, but I thought he had a, a pretty strong game nonetheless. Yeah, I think this was one of the more advantageous matchups for
2: Isaiah because Vucevic, he's not, well, I know he's he's a floor spacer, but Isaiah played him pretty well defensively uh, from close and from distance. So the, the concerns for Isaiah for me are still just going to revolve around uh, his jump like Andre Drummond is a guy who can jump out of the gym. He had a much better time against Isaiah. Isaiah really, he's going to have a a better time defending guys when you're like still on the floor battling for a position. Once he gets the, once somebody's trying to roll past him, usually like a good rim running center can elevate straight over Stewart. That's going to be the problem, but Vujovic, not really that guy. He's kind of the guy who was, he plays a game more similar to Stewart. So it was really more about their skill matchup tonight. And I thought, Like you said, you couldn't move Isaiah for Couldn't move Isaiah. And that's, that's the ideal situation for Isaiah because when there's guys who are just going to be able to elevate over him, that's when he's going to struggle. So these are the matchups I want to see what he can do uh, in terms of getting offense against guys where you're still battling on the ground Uh, when it's above the rim. That's where I think he's going to struggle more. So I'm, I'm enjoying this matchup and I'm not surprised that he did well today.
0: Yeah. Yeah, it tends to be, it, it's, I don't think it's a sort of ruinous weakness by any means. Yeah. It does hurt a little bit. He's last season compensated for it pretty well. I think that's that weakness in verticality uh, just by means of positioning. Uh, also, it helps that he's very good at defending in space in general and knowing where to be recovering uh, off coverage and pick and rolls, even just being able to get, you know, to end up in between the two defenders, the roll man and the ball handler. He just knows where to go and, uh, so there are just a variety of things that will uh, that will help him against above the rim players. However, yeah, it's going to be a weakness of his. You can't just say, okay, Isaiah jump higher. But you know, I, I just thought it was a strong game for him. You know, in, in any capacity, I'm just looking forward and hoping that we get to the point where he can, well, speaking on offense, start shooting the ball well again. Because I think that he can be a top ten center in the league. I think that's going to be just an absolutely key factor in it, though.
1: Yeah, no, I, I completely agree with everything you guys have said. And and, and I think that, um, Mike, you made a good point in that Stuart makes up for his lack of vertical explosiveness, much in the same way that Sadiq makes up for his, you know, straight line speed deficiency. And that's positioning, you know, that's having a high basketball IQ, knowing where to be, choosing a good spot on the floor, anchoring yourself and making sure that you're the immovable object. And Vucevic was really struggling against him tonight on both ends of the floor. And I left a comment in the in the post-game thread, but this is something I really believe. Um, I think that Stewart's touch around the rim, especially for being 20, is like special. I, I, I really do. The way that he's able to adjust his shot on the fly to account for, you know, errant arms coming in, trying to block him, bodies flying everywhere. His touch is just very soft, you know, very graceful. And it looks smooth. And looking smooth usually means that it's replicable. You know, it's not a fluke when he scores these. He's just really special around the rim. So I think, and this is what I said in my comment, was that if he's able to get even marginally good positioning, um, let alone perfect positioning down low, let's just call it marginally good positioning, I think that he should be one of the primary options on offense. Honestly, I think that Stewart post-touches are efficient uses of possessions, um, and I think he can easily be a top ten center if we start to make use of, or at the very least, empower his skill set.
0: Yeah, I I don't know about one of the primary options, but I think he is a guy to whom you can dish the ball inside and expect him to do something with it on decent efficiency. I've been on and on about post-play and how many guys can actually in the NBA can actually make post-play worthwhile. I don't think Stewart's a guy who's going to see it on high volume, but he is a capable post-player. He showed that last year. And uh, more to the point, he, <laughs> unlike, uh, whatever, unlike, say, Andre Drummond, for example, who is the most egregiously bad example of this, uh, he knows when to try it and when not to. He's got a good hat in his shoulders in general, just good judgment overall. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. I, I really, I, I think... I'll say it again. I think his conditioning just isn't all there yet, and I think we'll we'll see continued improvement from uh, from him as the season goes on. Now, this is a bit of an aside. Uh, we don't have to spend too much time on this, but I know that oh, there's been some talk. We had uh, um, Omari Senkova say this. Some others. I don't remember who else. Uh, That's you know conceivably. Who knows if things remain. Uh, I see between the Suns and Deandre Ayton. I'm just this comes to mind just because uh, Ayton is also a center. You know, do the do you see the Pistons sending an offer sheet his way in the offseason? And uh, my answer to that would be no for a couple of reasons. Uh, number one, well, Ayton isn't a max player right now. I think that's that's largely why the Suns didn't offer him that contract. Now, if Ayton is a max player, come the uh, come the end of the season, Phoenix will pay him. If he isn't, if he still isn't that max player, the Pistons have no reason to offer him a max contract. And if he signs anything less than a max offer sheet, then Phoenix will match. So I really don't think there's anything there. But also, I think Isaiah Stewart in the long term will be uh, a good starting center who can probably had at, at a price much much lower than a max. And that's nice to have at that position if you're not going for a truly elite talent, of which there are maybe like five. Or six, if you count Anthony Davis at center, where apparently he's going to be playing more this season. Beyond that, it's not really worth giving that much money to your center. Yeah. Do you guys have any thoughts about that, or is yeah. this just entirely my, uh, you know, my sojourn off the off the beaten path of this discussion?
1: <laughs> no, I, I no, I think it's a valid. I think it's a valid thing to bring up um, in the context of the Isaiah Stewart discussion. But look, I'll, I'll put it this way. I'm always, 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 always interested in good players. I'm especially interested in good young players. Um, I think DeAndre Ayton is a good young player. Is he the max player that you know Phoenix was hoping that he would be when they picked him first overall? Uh, At this point, probably not. And I agree with you, Mike. If he's not that guy, I don't think the Pistons really stand to benefit all that much from paying him all that money to not be that guy. And I don't think Stewart... Um, I think it's wishful thinking to think that he can reach the ceiling that Aiton can reach or, you know, even be as good as Aiton is right now, but he can be more than serviceable. He can be, in my opinion, a top 10 center. And if you're not paying him too, too much, you know, that's probably better in the recipe for a championship team than handing a a boatload of cash to Aiton. So that's probably where I stand on that. Unless something significantly changes, I don't really see it, uh, materializing. In the
2: context of Isaiah Stewart I just think that this team more and more I'm reminded of the fact that we just need a guy who can actually elevate above the rim. As much as I love Isaiah this it's not just like from a from a win the game perspective. Guys who can catch lobs and elevate are just fun to watch and I, I just miss that a lot and that's one of the things I loved about Christian Wood. He played with just so much lift and that was a lot of fun and Aiton is a guy who can do that and while I'm not married to the idea of Aiton uh, just maybe in a more broad discussion, finding a guy who either at the four or five uh, can be a lob threat. Just find a guy like that. Maybe it's Paulo Bancaro in the next draft. I don't know who else uh, would fit next to Stewart, but a guy who can space the floor, but also uh, be a capable role, man. That's what I want. And if Aiton is that and Isaiah Stewart just isn't going to be that guy in the future, Maybe that's a discussion worth having, but I don't know Aiden's game well enough mm-hmm. to pick it one way or the other.
0: That's All that's right. fair. Yeah, that's he fair. is. Aiden is very athletic. I'm sure, he can catch webs. I mean, I, I maybe we should make this an episode about DeAndre <laughs> Aiden. I don't. My opinion of him right now isn't particularly high. Certainly, in the context of you know, give me a max contract, a five-year max. I don't think he deserved that. Uh, and I think he'll ultimately end up staying with the, with the Rockets anyway. Uh, not the Rockets, excuse me, the Suns. So uh, whatever the case, th- yeah, th- there is. Bob's are a good option to have. I just think when it comes down to, like say, you can have a top 10 center on Isaiah Stewart who is, and, and let me preface this, there is an elite, a very elite group of centers, like the top five, maybe the top six. If uh, Again, if you include Davis and if Autobio really gets to where people think he will be. Those are the elite group. I mean, the, the rest of the top 10, those are very good players, but not great. But if you've got a guy who can stretch the floor, who's a very capable defender, uh, just a, a great effort guy with, with with very good intangibles like Stewart, you can pay him like $16 million a year. I mean, that's 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 a great value, provided you have those takeover scores elsewhere. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. but, uh, as long as we're talking about Stewart a bit, uh, why don't we, uh, why don't we move on to Olenek who I thought had a pretty strong game overall, uh, his shot from the perimeter wasn't falling, but I was impressed with his passing.
1: Yeah. I thought Olenek had a strong game. Um, I think that just, it's, he just adds a completely different dimension to the offense, you know, especially compared to what Mason Plumley brought. So I, I, I wouldn't say I have too much to say on him other than I'm proud to share a country with uh, <laughs> with someone who can space the floor at the five. So, uh,
0: Yeah, is there anybody else from Canada? There are there any other stretch fives from Canada? I don't like stretch five. I hate that term. Anyway, <laughs> yeah, uh, this this is a question we'll have to thoroughly research later on. Uh, Tommy, what do you think about uh, how a winning performance? Tonight? Yeah, same, same as Dante. I wasn't paying too close, uh, uh,
2: putting too much attention on him, but I did notice that the off-ball movement with him and Corey Joseph on the floor was excellent, like, better than I've seen the Pistons play in a long time. And that's one of the most fun brands of basketball. So going into the rest of the season, all 82 games, I hope that's something that they continue to uh, do. Just keep playing, uh, keep putting in the effort off ball. That's how Steph Curry gets open, even though he's getting hounded for 30-something minutes a game. And that's how you get open looks. So those guys uh, set that example, and I hope they continue to do so throughout the season.
0: Yeah, Corey Joseph also had a fairly weak game. Uh, definitely still a very good perimeter defender, though. I'd absolutely give that to him. I mean, the Pistons overall, just the point guard play wasn't there at all this game. I mean, it was it, as far no. as penetrating, breaking down the defense and creating options. I mean, you were really counting on guys just creating offense for themselves. And obviously, Sadiq did a decent job of creating offense for himself. Grant did a decent job of creating offense for himself you know, Stewart was a strong scorer inside. And Olenek, if he just had, you know, one or two of his threes, would have had a good scoring night. What I was impressed with with Olenek was just that he can put the ball on the floor and make a play for somebody else. And you saw a couple times tonight, one in particular, when he managed to get onto a mismatch inside and draw a foul. Uh, he's good at finding those. But, yeah, tonight you just – it was just it – was, it was an ugly game in terms of point guard play. And – It was bad. It was, it was bad.
1: No, it was really, really bad. And and I think that um we've sort of arrived at in a in a in a pretty roundabout way. Sort of the last thing that I wanted to bring up, um, to kind of sum up the game tonight, and that's we could really use Cade right now. I, I think that um these dying minutes here when we desperately need someone to step up and make a play, especially, you know, when Casey has lost control for the millionth time at the end of a game during the season. Um I think it becomes Cade time, you know, I, I, <laughs> as great as Grant is, I don't think he's that guy. I don't think Bay's that guy. I don't think Stewart is that guy. Um, Killian Hayes is definitely not that guy, but at the end of these games here, you know, this is where Cade Cunningham shines. And and I think that you sort of saw the, the role that he could potentially fill um, and the expectations I, I realize are through the roof. I'm asking a guy who's never played an NBA minute to be, the clutch scorer to be the one that you turn to to put up uh points when you need the most but use the number one overall pick you know that's that's what i expect that's what i want and we could have really used it tonight.
2: and he can generate offense which we desperately need yes
1: and he can do that it's always helpful in basketball yeah yeah very that helpful is, that
0: is fairly helpful at my final points and i mean I know I didn't speak too well of him in uh, his preseason performance, and I also didn't think too highly of who of how he played tonight was about Hamadou. Uh, I'll say two things. Number one, the guy is just still incredibly raw. Uh, number two, he is a tank, and I continue to be intrigued by his, his absolutely amazing athleticism. This guy's in the ninety nine percentile of athletes in an incredibly athletic league. Uh, but uh, you know, more and more, just from preseason than the first game, I think he might just continue to be another year away. But I suppose we'll see as the season goes on. Uh, he managed to make a couple of plays, uh, just a couple of am ones tonight. Uh, I think one additional trip to the three point or to the free throw line. But just all together, I mean, it was basically tonight. It was it was Sadiq and Jeremy and Isaiah, and to a lesser extent, Kelly olinick and nobody else. Like just nobody else. So no, yeah. The, the more I think about it, the, the kind of the kind of ugly the memory becomes but it was still a game i enjoyed i had two expectations for the pistons tonight that they would play an nba regular season game and that it wouldn't be a train wreck and those two conditions were absolutely met so i feel pretty good you're a psychic good call <laughs> thanks yeah i yeah. really should have laid down a couple of bets
1: <laughs> i don't know what the yeah. money line is on not a train wreck i don't know who's even taking that bet but
0: uh, fair enough yeah uh all right uh any of you guys have any final thoughts before we wrap up no i think that that's it for mm,
1: me i think i think we covered everything i man can we win on saturday that would be that nice would be fun to watch. that's my final thought yeah that would be fun to watch other than that nothing to add. i i think i got this was very cathartic <laughs> for me so uh
0: all right, folks. Yes. Uh, well, thank you for listening to our very first episode of the 2021-2022 NBA regular season. be many more to come. And so we will catch you in our next episode.